All right, so tonight we're going to continue our, serious, our series. I was going to say serious, but maybe it is serious. I don't know. Uh, it's called Generous. And what we're focusing on over the next few weeks is how uh, we as a community of believers are called to generosity. Now, generosity happens in all forms and ways. You can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your talents. And you could also be generous with your treasures. And we'll be focusing on the latter today. But tonight what I want us to do is just to take a look at not only um, what we can give, but also why we give. What is our motivation? What is our disposition when it comes to giving? You see, in Scripture, motivation matters so much. It, it, it always matters what the why is behind what we do. And Jesus wants to affect our hearts, and Jesus wants to change our hearts. Amen? And draw us closer to him. And so I want us just to peek at scripture tonight and look at what it says about being generous. And so how many of you have ever heard the word tithe before? Anyone? Okay. I'm starting pretty strong here, it sounds like, right? I'm, I'm kind of coming out bold, but I'm not going to be too bold, I promise, okay? But the tithe in scripture was something that was talked about and established early on between God and his people. Uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all speaks to uh, this concept known as tithing. In Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30, we read this. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And so there was, there was this idea between, not this idea, this, this truth between God and his people, that the tithe was something that was just given to the Lord. It was the first fruits. It was the tenth. Tithe means tenth in the Hebrew language. And this was expected, and this was the arrangement that had been going on. And in various commands in the Torah, we read about the tenth that was to be given back to the Lord. And this tenth was given back to the Lord so that we can remember that it was Him who provided everything for us to begin with. The motivation was that God had been generous to us and provided for us. And so we get to this book called Malachi. It's at the end of the Old Testament, it's one of the minor prophets, and some stuff has gone wrong at this point when it came to giving the tithe. You see, the priests were not only not giving the tithe the way that they should, but the people were following suit. And so we read in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? And so they're being called out here because the tithe was something that they'd been given. They were expected to give back, and they weren't doing it. And so they're called out, and the word here literally used is rob. Let's look at verse 10 and 12. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. And so God is saying to them, Bring the whole tithe into the, into the storehouse. He's even saying you can test me on this and see the blessing that you find after doing so. You see, as I was thinking about this this past week, I thought I would appeal to someone a lot smarter than me. So Bill um, Arnold and Brian Bayer wrote this book called Encountering the Old Testament. 
It's used a lot in Bible colleges and seminaries. And here's what they had to say about the tithe. They said the law of Moses required the people to tithe to give 10% of their income to the Lord. Tithing reminded people that God had given them everything. To neglect giving one's tithe was to steal from God. And so we find ourselves here in the book of Malachi, and they're in some hot waters. And God's saying, you know what? Don't rob me. You know, this is for your benefit. Give your tithe. Look look how I'm going to provide for you. Look how I'll take care of you. And so a lot of people have said to me before, well, you know, that's found in the Old Covenant. You know, did Jesus ever affirm this? Did Jesus ever talk about this? Well, interestingly enough, Jesus, one time when he was lecturing the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 23, he's giving what is known as the seven woes to the Pharisees. He says this to them in Matthew 23, verse 23. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And so Jesus is saying to them, he's given them, you know, discipline here. He's given them correction. And he's talking about what they give. And even in, in this sense, I don't want to get too deep into this tonight, but even in this sense, they weren't doing it properly. But he talks about how they give a tenth of this and this and this and this. And he says to them, you know what? You should have practiced that without neglecting justice, without neglecting mercy, without neglecting faithfulness. You see... The heart matters to God, amen? The heart matters to Jesus. He doesn't just want our outward acts, but he wants our outward acts to flow from a place that's been transformed by his grace, amen? Been transformed by his love. And so this idea here of tithing is something that I think many of us are familiar with and we've heard about before in church and we've practiced and we've known about. I remember in one of my past church settings, uh, there was a gentleman who didn't come to the church, his parents did, but about once every month or every couple weeks, I would see him come by the office. And I always tried to catch him when he, come, when he came by. But he was literally like, you know, in and out, right? Like he just wanted to get in, get out. And I always wondered what he was doing. And then someone told me, well, he was dropping off his tithe. And I'm sitting here thinking, but he doesn't come here, right? He doesn't necessarily come to church. I, I, I think he believed in God, but he wasn't necessarily what you'd call a practicing believer. And one time we had a youth trip where I needed to get a bus to take transport some youth to a conference in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And we needed a certain amount of money to come in in order to be able to do that. And one day, someone dropped off the money, took care of it, and I asked, wow, that was quick. How did that happen? And I found out it was the said gentleman who had provided that. And so I caught him one day, <laughs> and I decided to, you know, chat with him and ask him about his, you know, just life in general and thank him for that. And the one thing he said to me, though, was this was that, you know, even though he doesn't necessarily go to church, he was modeled this by his parents. And he was modeled the fact that God has blessed him so much. God has given to him so much. And so he feels he just needs to give back. Now, a good end to that story is he eventually gave his life to Jesus. And uh, he's now serving in the church, and it's really cool. But I just couldn't believe it. It kind of blew my mind to see this individual come in and know that God had blessed him, and he wanted to bless back. And so today, I want to give us some thoughts on giving, but more importantly, not just what we give, but let's look at why we give. You see, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, Jesus said this, 
He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, where your treasure lies, your heart, the condition of your heart is connected. They're not independent of each other. And Jesus always connects the condition of our heart to our acts of obedience. He deepens the commandments for us. He wasn't just concerned that we did the right things, but that we become the kind of people where these actions naturally flow from in obedience to him and his kingdom. That we're marked by the ethics and priorities of his kingdom, not simply what we want or what I desire or what I approve of, but of what he wants, what he desires. And we give not just to receive, even though, you know, that does happen, but we give because we have received. Giving is truly, as Pastor Yasmin mentioned last week, at the heart of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so giving is about a lot of things, but what, what is giving not about? Let's talk really quickly about what giving is not as we start here today. You see, giving is not about impressing others. It's not about earning special status or to be seen by people or to be praised by people. You see, and Jesus directly addressed this mindset in Matthew chapter 6. He said this. He said, be careful not to practice your, your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving might be done in secret. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, this idea of giving, it's not supposed to be like, look at me, thousand right? Don't do that, okay? That's not what we're supposed to give, right? And, and God says that, you know, when you give, keep it between you and him. You see, it's not about everything out there, but it's about the actions that flow from in here, amen? From the heart of a person. And we give not to earn anything from God or people, but because we recognize that everything is from God. He's provided for us, and giving really just becomes an overflow, overflow sorry, of gratitude of our hearts. Pastor John refers to it as financial worship in our church. When we give, we give back to the one who first gave to us. You see, in Deuteronomy 8.18, it says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. It's God who gives us the ability to produce this. In 1 Chronicles 29, it says, Now our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generally, generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Everything comes from you, God. James 1.17 says it like this, Every good and perfect gift is from heaven above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. You see, when we recognize what God has given to us, that translates into us gratefully giving back to him and his work. You see, giving, another thing giving isn't, is giving isn't something that you should really have to feel uh, guilted into or coerced into or be reluctant about. 2 Corinthians 9 Verses 7 and 8 says, each of you should give 
what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all you need, you'll abound in every good work. And so at the heart of giving really is a God who's given to us, who's provided for us. And so I want us to look at a story for the remainder of the time that we're going to be talking tonight. And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And it's the story of a church in Macedonia. And I'm not using white on that background again, so I apologize for that tonight, okay? But it says this, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's telling them something. There was an offering that was supposed to be collected for the church in Jerusalem. Tough times had broken out. That's the context here, okay? And the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth regarding this offering. So let's read. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. And so we urge Titus, just as he had earlier, he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Let's just leave that verse up there for a while because I'm going to kind of point back to it as we look here. But we just read some scripture and the context is that persecution had broken out in the church of Jerusalem after Stephen was killed. And he was the first Christian to be put to death. You can read about it in the book of Acts. And oddly enough, rather than causing the message to slow down, rather than causing the message of the gospel to be afraid and take a step back, what actually happens is the message continues to spread in ways that it had never spread before. In fact, that's the nature of the gospel, is that it naturally wants to spread. And that it goes beyond whatever anything that tries to keep it to themselves and say it just stays with us. The very nature of the gospel message is that it transcends everything and reaches to those who are different than us. It's good news. It's beautiful news. And it keeps going. And so Paul is writing to the people in Corinth. And earlier he talked about an offering and a collection that they were taking up. Okay? And apparently, the Macedonian churches were skipped in this collection, okay? They weren't asked because they didn't have any money. So they were skipped over in this offering. I mean, everyone knows that they can't write a check was the thinking probably, so why even guilt them about it? Let's take this up on our own. We won't bug them. They're going through a tough time. 
So Paul writes to the church in Corinth, who committed already and said that they would take part and participate in this offering collection. But as of this writing of this letter, they actually hadn't sent any cash yet, okay? Which never happens in our world, right? So Paul writes them, knowing that he's going to be coming through Corinth soon. And so he says, and he talks about the Macedonian church, and he says this, he says, in the midst of extreme trial and poverty, they welled up in rich generosity, entirely on their own, he says. They urgently pleaded with us, with their urge to share in this offering, in this service to the Lord's people. So why does Paul say that they urgently pleaded with us to be a part of this collection? Well, it's because they were left out. They intentionally left them out as to not burden them. And they were like, no, we want to be a part of this. We want to take part in this collection. It's almost as if they interrupt or contact the Apostle Paul and say to him, what, are we poor? And interestingly enough, with integrity, the Apostle Paul could have said, yes, that's exactly it. That's why we didn't bother you. And we didn't want to make this a burden to you. We didn't want to make you feel bad. And yet for these persecuted and impoverished Christians, there was something within them that despite their circumstances, they wanted in. And they wanted to be a part of this offering. And they were going to be a part of the work of the gospel in Jerusalem. And they would not be denied that right. And so Paul is writing here to the church in Corinth in the verses we just read through. And it's as if he says this, you know, I'm just saying, if I come to Corinth and you said you were going to be a part of this and you have nothing collected... But we go through poor Macedonia, and they have collected for the offering already. Well, that's just going to be awkward, right? That's just going to be kind of strange. And so if you're the Apostle Paul, you're in some very tricky kind of relational waters here. And so how do you let the Corinthian church know that if I show up to see the poor Macedonians, and they've collected money for this offering, and you who have money and have already said you're going to give in this offering still haven't, you know, that's going to probably be something you don't want to happen. I'm just saying that's not going to be a good look. That's just not going to be, that's just not going to come off very well. And so how does Paul say to them, you have a couple days to get your act together, essentially, or it's going to be quite awkward. Well, what does he do? How does he appeal to them in these verses? (laughs) He simply says this, I want to tell you about the Macedonians. And how does he frame it? He frames it around this thing called grace. Grace that God has given the Macedonians. And now he's not saying to them, you know, these Macedonians are really making you look bad, or they're making you look like chumps, right? He's not saying, he's not lecturing them. He's not saying that they're totally showing you up. No, but I want to tell you about the grace that they've been given. You see, these Macedonians, during poverty, were not only able to get money together, but they're also sending it the church in Jerusalem, which would have been a long distance, would have been a long way to go, would have been a long way for them to travel in these days. They didn't have cars like we do, right? No airplanes back in these days. Which raises the questions, have the church in Macedonia even met these people in Jerusalem that they're going to be sponsoring and looking out for? And the answer, we don't know for sure, but because of distance and travel, it might have been no. 
It was such a long distance. And these people in Macedonia have never probably even met these people in a different part of their world. And yet they desperately want to help them. They desperately want to take part in this offering to them. Friends, that is church. Amen? They are looking out for others. And from the beginning, it was basic practice in the church that you would give. We talked about the tithe outlined in scriptures and how that was a very real and experiential thing for these people to do. And the church often gave offerings to various people who needed it. And to give to people around you, even those you haven't met. You see, generosity was really built into the original DNA of the church. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll read all about it. And so when Paul describes it, he doesn't say, you know, these Macedonians, man, were they loaded. No, he calls their desire to give to people they've never met. He calls the work in their lives grace. He calls it grace. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. You see, God has shown these people grace, and they have experienced it, and it has deeply affected how they think about themselves and how they think about other people around them. You know, think about it this way. Maybe you accepted the grace of Jesus when you were a kid or a teenager, and that's amazing. Maybe you were a young adult like me. Maybe you were older when you accepted God. We've all had an opportunity. Maybe you're still at that point where you're, you're just considering this whole thing and you're, 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 you're pondering what Christianity means for you. But for those of us who accepted the grace of Christ, guess what? You're not done. There is still joy to be experienced, amen? And if you want the joy of Christ, then you and I need to wake up each day and accept the grace of Christ in our lives daily. You see, one of the reasons we don't often experience joy is because we develop bad habits of not receiving grace daily, of not being conscious of all that God has done for us. And this is very difficult to do sometimes. You see, we've all been given gifts to an extent. We all have, you know, m most of us have eyes so we can see, muscles to lift, and the ability to appreciate things. But eventually, as you get older... Your eyes might deteriorate, hence glasses, right? Your muscles might not quite be the same, but your ability to appreciate sticks with you, right? We all have the ability to appreciate. You see, we're so good at appreciating that sometimes it's what we appreciate that can trip us up in life. You see, we often appreciate what we don't have. You know, that awesome car that my neighbor drives, wow. Man, I wish I could have something like that. That great house of theirs. Those really well-behaved kids who are so quiet in church. Wait till they get home, right? That job he or she has is amazing. Th th those things we just wish we had, we can appreciate that. No one has to teach us to appreciate that. In fact, we're pretty good at doing that. You know, sometimes we appreciate what we once had. You know, I've heard it said often, you know, appreciate things while they last, right? Like, you know, I have young kids, and I often have people tell me, appreciate that stage, because they're going to get big. They're going to be older. It's going to go quick. It's going to go fast. And yet many who are presently dealing with the young child who, who, who wants to cry and always wants to ask for things is looking forward to, oh, it'll be so nice when they're teenagers, right? And it'll finally be good then, right? 
but we're really good sometimes at appreciating what we once had. We're really um, good sometimes at appreciating what we hope to have in the future. But what about appreciating and living in gratitude of what we have right now? Are we good at that? Are we good at appreciating what we have today? And it'd be awesome if we can appreciate the stuff we have today, but even greater, what if we could live in this moment always mindful and appreciative of the grace and love that Jesus has shown us, amen? What if we could live each day mindful of how God has treated us? You see, if we filled up on the grace of God daily, how would that change things for you? You see, the grace of God doesn't just come to us once, but his grace is with us always. The Apostle Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. He says, but, uh, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He literally identified with it. And his grace to me was not without effect. It was seen in his life. He, he says, I worked harder than all of them, yet it wasn't I, but the grace of God that was with me. Titus 2 says this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. Friends, the, the reality is, is that grace empowers us, how we live today. Grace has an effect on how we live tomorrow. You see, I read this portion of scripture in 2 Corinthians, and it reminds me to cherish the grace that God has given to you. These people were given grace. And they were conscious of it. And out of their extreme poverty, they welled up in rich generosity, the scripture says. And these incredibly poor people had this explosion of generosity well up within them. Maybe you can say it like this. You could have barely any money and yet be quite rich. And you could have lots and lots of money and perhaps inwardly be a little poor. You can barely have any money, and yet your spirit is just bursting and wide and generous that you are in some way, unique way, in Christ, phenomenally rich. Your very being is loaded with the wealth of God. You give, and it has little to do with actual dollars, but it flows from your heart. And you give, and you lavish on people. You give to the work of God. It's a generosity that beams, and it's based on that very generosity that's been lavished on you the grace of God. Amen? It becomes a work of grace. You see, one of the things that the church in Macedonia taught us was that they wouldn't let their finances determine their joy, right? They weren't going to be denied. They want to be a part of this. They wanted to be a part of this. They urgently pleaded to be a part of this. And they teach us that there's a joy that's independent of life circumstances available to us. And for these believers, their poverty wouldn't be a barrier to their joy. And so Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's like, I'm coming through, and you still haven't given what you pledged. Let me tell you about the grace that makes poor people rich. The grace that makes even poor people rich. Now notice what the Apostle Paul doesn't do. He doesn't drop the law on them, does he? No, he didn't do that. He didn't try to guilt them. No, he didn't do that. I see how much money you have in your congregation. You're so close-fisted. No, he didn't say that to them, right? He doesn't bring shame. He doesn't even use authority. Like, you know, he has every right to be like, you know, I'm the Apostle Paul. I'm the reason you have this church. Now give. But he doesn't do that. Why doesn't he do that? 
Well, because Paul only knows gospel grace given in free will. Paul only knows giving done in joy, if you will. This is a prime example of where the Apostle Paul really has lots of hammers in his toolbox. He can bring them out if he wanted to. He can bring them out and say, do it now. And the people afraid might be like, okay, fine, we'll do it, we'll do it, we'll do it. But at this prime moment, he doesn't resort to any of that. But he simply trusts that the Spirit of God can grab each heart and do the work in each heart that brings joy. And he will not get in the way of that. Reminding us again of the words in chapter 9, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, it simply confirms that our heart conditions matter. God cares about our disposition and character when it comes to giving, when it comes to being generous. And the point isn't simply to make or force us to do the right things, but so that God would move in our hearts, that he would do something in our lives, that we would be kind, become the kind of people who couldn't imagine doing anything but the right things because we've had an experience with him. You see, grace does for us what the law never could. And so all the ways that Paul can resort to, all the things he could say to them, he doesn't do that. But what does he do? He just says, oh, by the way, church in Corinth, let me tell you a beautiful story about grace about the grace that has been reflected in your Macedonian brothers and sisters. Though they are poor, something has happened in their hearts and in their time and in their passions, and it is beautiful. And he wants the church in Corinth to experience that grace, to experience that same joy that only comes when the Holy Spirit does a work in their hearts. Are you with me? See, verse 3 said they gave beyond their ability. And the amazing thing about that is, is that we have story over story of broken people doing extraordinary things in Scripture, which tells me that you and I are capable of generous living, no matter what our situation is. The reason I love this passage is because the one thing Paul is clear on is that they didn't really have that much. And so some of us, we, we read something like this, and we think, well, that's a good idea for people who are very well off or who have this. But the one thing Paul says is that they were poor, persecuted, in poverty, and yet they were capable still of stunning generosity. 2 Corinthians 8.6, that same story we just read, he says, So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. It's absolutely amazing how God's grace can change us. Amen? Amen? Do, you, do we stop and think about that ever? God's been so generous to us. God's been so good to us. God has loved us. He's lavished love on us. He's forgiven us. I'm a person who makes mistakes. Anyone else? Right? I'm a person who's messed up. I need forgiveness. I need grace. And grace just humbles me. And so don't get me wrong. I'm going to say this before I close. The worship team can come up. But I'm not suggesting that if you're not skipping to the offering plate every day, right? I'm not suggesting this, okay? and singing joy to the world, that that's not necessarily where you have to be. Sometimes when we start giving, 
it can challenge us. Are you with me? Anyone experienced this when you started giving before, right? I remember we were at a conference once, and my wife, um, well, we were there, and there was a service going on, and they were taking up a special offering for a need in the world. And uh, my wife looks at me and says, God's spoken to me about what we're supposed to give. And I said, yeah, me too. And her number, I hate to say it, was way higher than mine, okay? All right, don't throw things at me, okay? It's just what it was, all right? It was way higher than mine in that moment. And I remember thinking, are you sure he said that to you, right? Like, in, in that moment, I was kind of like, you know, it, it felt difficult. Sometimes it is sacrifice. Sometimes giving has that element to it. But often when we get away from it, and you really look at things in perspective of the grace of Jesus and the blessing that we all have received from God, there's, an, there's a joy in knowing that you're going to do something, give to something that will make an impact, that will help and transform many, that you're going to be a part of his work here on earth, right? And it doesn't start by being lectured or feeling you have to give reluctantly or under compulsion, but maybe by going back to the grace and joy and generosity that Christ has shown you, that God has revealed to us. You see, that produces the kind of giving where you give, and it's not even about dollar amounts anymore, but it's fueled by the joy that is yours in Christ. Thank God for his grace today, amen? Thank God for his grace and for his work in our lives today, amen? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you've been so graceful to us, to each one of us, Lord, that, Lord, as we give and as we look back to you, Lord, it's a reflection of everything you've given to us. And, God, we don't deserve it, but we thank you for it. And so I just pray, God, that you would continue to speak to our hearts, Lord God, continue to draw us closer to you, continue to help us find the joy, God, in doing things for you. And that includes giving, Lord, of our time, of our talents, and of our treasures. And so empower us today in Jesus' name.